Well, we've got a a new little one back there, Adam and Hannah's. We all, we don't want to forget Finley. She's going to take care of little brother. <laughs> Dax, Daxton. Is that right? Daxton or Daxton? Daxton. Say it again. Daxton. Okay, Daxton. All right. Uh, the, I, I thought they said Jackson at first, and, and then I got corrected on that. Amen. <laughs> Finley, give me one of them eyeballs. You know, uh, no. I asked, I asked Hannah, I said, uh, how's Finley like him? She said, pretty good. Got to keep her away from him. And, uh, you know how little baby or little ones do when they get a baby in their eye, uh, eye, nose, you know. But anyway, good, good to see they're doing well and good to have, you know, something about life, new life that into the world, just such hope when you see those little ones and, and so forth. That's why it's always good when I, Sometimes when I would go to make a hospital visit and go down by the ICU and go through there and pray with people that are dying, it's always good before you leave, go by the nursery and look at the little ones and enjoy the life that God gives. Amen. Well, take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to Acts chapter 9. It's good to have each of you, good to have our visitors with us this morning. We want you to feel at home and... Uh, Appreciate you being here with us. Acts chapter 9, if you would please stand for the reading of God's Word if you're able to. We'll begin reading in verse 1 of Acts chapter 9. I was preaching in a tent revival one night this week and a young man went to this particular portion of Scripture and, and we was looking at it and he, he dealt with some stuff, done a tremendous job. And when I come back and was studying to see what, where the Lord would lead, he led me to the same same portion of Scripture, not the same message, but same portion of Scripture. And uh, so we're excited about what God's wanting to do this morning. Acts chapter 9, beginning read verse 1, says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest, and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling, astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise. Go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and, and when his eyes were open, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there, and he was, he was three days without sight, neither did he eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to, to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of one Judas for one Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. And he hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. 
Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way, as thou camest, hast sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Look with me back in verse 5. It says, And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. And notice what he says here. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. I'd like to preach a message, kicking against the pricks. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for your mercy and your goodness to us. Lord, I pray that you'd be exalted this morning. I pray that you'd be magnified. Lord, speak to hearts. Lord, there may be some here that don't know Jesus Christ, their Savior. Let this be the day that they turn to you and receive you as their Savior before it's eternally too late. Lord, I pray that you'd be magnified in their hearts and minds. Holy Spirit, take control of every part of the service. May I decrease, may you increase, Lord. Hide me behind the cross. May Jesus Christ be lifted up. And we'll give the honor and glory to you for this prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. We read here the conversion of Saul, who's later called Paul. Most people, and even while I was typing this out so many times, when I would, I would type out Paul instead of Saul. But that was his name. As he, after he got saved, they changed it to Paul uh, to show that there had been a change in his life. This was a man that persecuted the church and he would go and he would bring people in and they would jail them. Sometimes they would torture them. And even in the case of Stephen, Saul stood there and held the robes of those men as they stood there and they stoned Stephen to death because Stephen had put his faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and was living for the Lord. And so they per- he persecuted, he went out and he gathered them up and brought them in that they might be persecuted and that they might be uh, thrown in jail and so forth because they had followed Jesus Christ. The Lord now comes knocking at his door. He not only knocks at his door, but he knocks him off his donkey. Knocks him off his high horse is what we used to say. And he's on the ground, there's a light that shines around him. It's so bright and so uh, it's hard for us to imagine, but it was so bright and something happened there that he fell from off of the horse onto his knees on the ground. If you look there in verse 3 and 4, it says, And as he was journeying, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Though there's some rare things that took place here, there's some rare things that took place in this event. Yet there's some things here that applies to you and I. There's some working here and some going ons that the Lord still does today. Now, I don't know of anybody uh, in, in this modern time that has been struck to the ground by a, a, a bright and shining light from heaven. 
But I do know that the Lord works in people's hearts and draws them to Him. And I have seen people fall to the ground under conviction, wanting the Lord to forgive them of their sins and save them. I'd like to look at some things here this morning, though, that maybe will bring some understanding to into each of our minds of what has been and what's taking place and how the Lord deals in our lives, even as Christians. Whether you're saved or whether you're lost, God deals in your heart and life. You may be sitting here this morning. You may not know Jesus Christ your Savior, but I'm going to guarantee you something. The Holy Spirit is going to try to deal with your heart even this morning. You can shut it off and you can turn it off and, and try to walk away from it, but God is still going to work and try to work in your heart. Well, let's look at this. And, and first of all, in Saul, we see an example of a stubborn ox. What? I didn't see anything in the Scripture there about an ox. Well, I'll, I'll show you here. He was an, he's an example of a stubborn ox. Look at verse 4. It says, And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. An ox was the means by which they did a lot of their plowing of their ground. The ground was hard and they, they needed an animal that could, that had a lot of strength. And many times they would yoke up. You could go back in the Old Testament too and you can see where they yoked up the oxen and they would pull those plows to break the ground. But an ox is stubborn. An ox has a mind of its own, you might notice. Notice here the reference that is given in, in verse five about kicking against the pricks. The pricks would be a reference to a goad or a prod that is used to get the ox to go one way or the other. They would have them in a harness. They would have the lines on them trying to get them to turn one way or the other. But an ox is so big and he has his own uh, uh, personality and he's stubborn and he don't really want to be pulling that plow anyways. And so it was hard to get him to turn with the lines. So they carried a... A, a prick or a goad, what they called a goad, we call them a, a prod or something like that. It would be a sharp stick, something like this, but it would be bigger around. This is the only thing I had around downstairs. And they would have a real sharp point on it. I mean, a real, and I went ahead and sharpened this one down so it's about like a toothpick on the end. And it would be about like that. This has been sitting around. It's pretty, pretty dry, but it's, uh, it's pretty hard too. Do you think that this prod would go through those jeans? You want to feel the end of it? You don't want to feel the end of it. But the fact is, is that it would. It'd go right through those jeans, go through, uh, probably go through this suit coat here, and you'd feel it. And so as they would be trying to get the ox to turn one way or another, they'd be pulling on the, on the lines one way, and they would goad them like this. They'd take it and stick it into their flanks on the back side trying to get them to move and turn and go that way and obey the pulling on those lines. It was called a prick. They would prick them. They would poke them. They would goad them to try to get them to move and to do what they're supposed to do. Well, just like any animal, when they get stuck in the flanks like that, they're going to kick back. And that oxen would kick back, and when they kick back, that goad would still be there. And they would kick back again into that goad, into that prick, and they would cause them to move forward a little bit, and they'd make them mad, and they'd kick back again, and it would go into them again. And the more they kicked, the more they got stuck. Until they finally turned and, and did what they're supposed to do, and then he quit pricking them with the, the goad. 
And so that's what takes place there. That's what Paul, or that's what the the scripture is referring to as the Lord is dealing with uh, Paul and he says, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. He said, I've been working in your life. I've been trying to get your attention. I've been trying to get you to do what's right. I've been trying to get you to turn to me. And all you do is kick against what I'm trying to do in your life. Saul was very religious. He had been to the theological seminary, you might say, of their day. He knew, he knew the, the, uh, the Pentateuch, uh, the Old Testament. He knew it well. He had been trained in the Jewish laws. He was a highly educated man, set under Gamaliel, which was a, was a, a theologian and so forth. And he was a, he was a, a very smart man. But he was also stubborn towards the truth about Jesus Christ. He had studied the Old Testament, but I'm going to tell you something. The Old Testament does show who Jesus Christ is. I can take you there. We don't have time and show you scripture after scripture that points to Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the coming Messiah. But because of the stubbornness, because he didn't like that the fact of where he thought Jesus came from, he didn't like the fact of how Jesus took the stand. He refused that Jesus was the Son of God. And so... Saul's stubbornness had caused him to close out the truce that Jesus was the promised Messiah through, though he, though he, uh, even though he had seen people saved and lives changed. Can I tell you this, this morning, it's a dangerous thing to be stubborn towards the Word of God, towards the things of God. It's a dangerous thing when God is working in your life to kick against the pricks. We find over in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 1, says, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. And so we find that when the, when you continually, continually, there can come a time when, when God can bring destruction in your life. Paul was kicking against the pricks. There in verse 5 again says, It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. The pricks of that day for him was the prophecies of the Old Testament. He rejected them. It was the miracles that Jesus Christ had done. He had no doubt heard about the all the raising of the dead, giving sight to the blind, causing the deaf to hear, the, the lame to walk, and, and raising Lazarus out of the tomb, and all the miracles that, that he had performed, he had heard of those. And yet he kicked against them. He had heard of the resurrection, yet he didn't believe it. The changed lives that professed Christ and they told how that, how he changed their lives and what he had done and yet he didn't accept it. He kicked against it. Just like an ox kicking against the pricks or a goat, it, it all, and all it does when you do that is it brings pain and unrest. Years ago, it wasn't all that long ago that this man died. His name was Louis Zamperini. Louis Zamperini was an Italian immigrant that came to the United States as a child. He didn't know English. And so when he went into the schools, they began to bully him and, and, and he was, he was picked on a lot. And, and so he, he would, he would strike out and do things and, and he got in a lot of trouble. And it didn't get his attention. Later on, he got into running and he, he liked, as in high school, he loved to run. And, and part of it was how he got rid of his anxieties and stuff. He would run. He set the first, he, he broke the world record in the mile. It was uh, like four minutes and uh, something. He set the record at that day and time. He went to the Olympics. And when they was being held in Germany, right before World War II, 
or during that period of time. He even shook hands with Hitler, who was on the platform. Hitler had seen him run, and he was piddling around, and, and he just went to go, and he, he really he had a, such a rotten attitude that he wasn't really thinking about trying even to win. He was just kind of trotting along. Wasn't running very hard, and they had passed him up, and he was way back at the back end of the line. And all of a sudden, he remembered something that his brother had told him, that how he needed to do everything he could. And he took off running with everything he had and passed everybody and won that Olympic medal. Hitler had him to send for him, and he came over and he shook his hand. While he was there, him and some his friends, they got into some trouble while they was there, and he went and he tried to steal a flag off of the Nazi headquarters out front. They got brought in by the SS police and so forth, and they finally they turned them loose. It wasn't too long after that that the war really broke out, and Hitler had had begun to to run the area and, and wound up that Louis Zamperini got drafted into the military. He wound up, to make a long story short, he was he wound up on a uh, on one of the flying fortresses. It was called the Green Hornet. After many runs and being shot up, and, and they said there was holes in some of those planes at times, and, and some of them that he was flying, you could stick your whole head through the sides of them. The wings would be riddled and, and, and just barely limping them back and getting them back. They would patch them up and send them back out. And time after time, they'd go out and they would do their runs and they would come back and they would patch them up and send them out. And this one particular time, Louis Zamperini and his crew got shot down in the Pacific. The plane went down. There was just a few of them that made it. And they was in rafts, in these rafts, and the sharks would come and hit the rafts for 47 days. 47 days, they floated the Pacific the only food and water they had is what water they could get when they got a little bit of rain and they could keep it somehow. They would catch some fish occasionally. And of course, the fish, they could drink the bladder and, 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 and all that from that and get the juices from the fish and they would eat it raw and whatever they could get. Once in a while, the, the seabirds would come and not having a place to land would land on the rafts and they would uh, work very hard to be still long enough and sometimes they would land on their heads and they would work their hand up and, and finally reach up and grab the bird and they would tear that bird apart and eat that bird. Two or three of those men, some of them died, but two or three of them that made it through that with Louis Zamperini had lost half of their body weight. They were strafed by Japanese planes they eventually was captured and taken into a Japanese POW camps. Louis Zamperini, during that time floating at sea, promised God that if he'd get him out of there, that he would live for him, that he would do what's right, that he'd follow God. You've heard the story, promises, promises to God, get me out of this and I'll do this and that. Louis Zamperini was not a saved man, had a hard heart. While he was in the prison, they went from one POW camp to another, but he wound up in one where there was a man that was a head in that POW camp, one of the leaders in it, that was a cruel man. They called him the bird. And he found out that Louis Zamperini was a, was a, uh, was a well-known man around the world because he had won that race and had, had run so fast and set world record and stuff. And so he began to pick on him and he began to abuse him and, and he began to torture him doing all kinds of wild things. I'm not even going to get into all that. 
Louis Zamperini promised God, Lord, if you'll get me out of this. Finally, the liberation came and they, the war was over and they got him out of the POW camp. He was just kind of a shell of a man by then, but from all the beatings, broken bones and abuse and the torture that he'd went through because of who he was. He went back home and he had got, he had married a, a young lady and, and he became an alcoholic drinking continually and, and all kinds of different problems coming in his life, getting in trouble with the law and different things. And, and finally it came to a point that he was waking up, he would be in the middle of the night and he would have these flashbacks of being in the POW camp from the, from the bird beating him and, and doing all kinds of, of un, un, vile things to him and stuff. And so they, he would, he would wake up and, and he would realize and he had a hold, he thought he had a hold of the bird choking him to death and he'd wake up and it was his wife. He was choking. Finally, he said, I can't take it anymore. I'm getting a divorce. But right before they got the divorce, she talked him into going to a Billy Graham crusade. The first night that Billy Graham crusade, a powerful message on salvation. He sat there and heard the message. God dealt with his heart. Didn't get saved. She talked him into going back the next night. That night he got saved. Man, I tell you what, God, he got rid of the booze. His life was changed. He got rid of the, the hatred for the bird and the, and, and all and, and got to a point of forgiveness in his life and God had changed him. Say, preacher, why are you telling us all that? All through the bird, or through Louis Zamperini's life, God was trying to get him to turn. Trying to get his attention. And even allowing him for 47 days to float to the Pacific. God preserved him. But he kept goading him. And every time he'd make a promise to God and then things would get better and it would change and he would turn the other direction, God would goad him with something else. The bird became a gold in his life. The war became a gold in his life. All the, the bullying and all that he went through in his life from as a kid was a gold in his life. Trying to get his attention. Trying to get him to where he should be that he might receive Jesus Christ as his Savior. So he finally got him there. This is what happened to, to, to the Apostle Paul here or Saul that we're speaking of. Today in the lives of the saved and the lost alike, the Lord uses pricks to get us where we're supposed to be. Trying to get our attention because of our stubborn hearts. You're sitting here to this morning and you may be some stubbornness in your heart and life and you won't yield unto the Lord and He may take a gold and He may prick your heart and life. It doesn't mean that He brings bad things into your life, but He'll use those things that come into your life. He doesn't send the bad things. He uh, uses them as a prick in your life. Those pricks are very greatly, but they increase as we go our own way instead of turning to the Lord. There's a prick of love that the Lord uses to start out with that the Lord first tries to go to us directly with His love, showing us how much He loves. He went to the cross and died in your place and my place that we have eternal life. Man, that's a lot of love. 
And yet when that doesn't work, he, he directs the Holy Spirit to bring conviction in your heart to show you that you're lost and without hope and that if you died one day, you go to a devil's hell. And that's, that's the Holy Spirit convicting and bringing. And I remember that in my own heart and life, how the Holy Spirit was dealing with my heart and pricking my heart, showing me that if I died, I'd drop off into a lake of fire. It uses the Word of God, the Bible, the truths of it. to Bring conviction to goad us to prick our hearts. He brings the reality of His return and judgment of God to drive it a little bit deeper and cause us when we kick back, I don't want that love and I'm not interested in that. I, I'm, I'm satisfied where I'm at. He brings us to a place with the, the acknowledgement of, hey, listen, one of these days He's going to return and, 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 and there's a judgment coming that we'll stand before the Lord and give an account of this life and what we did with Jesus Christ. Then sometimes it's the difficulties the struggles of life itself that He uses to goad us. The health. Sometimes our health issues are... And I'm not always saying that all these things are, are God dealing with you on something, but sometimes it's the health issues to get our attentions. The finances. The tragedies in our life. On and on goes the pricks as the Lord seeks to turn us to Him, whether you're saved or whether you're lost. Just as it is with the life of Saul, the pricks are not out of anger. They're not out of malice. They're not out of retribution. They're actually out of love. They're out of love. In Jeremiah 31.3 he says, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Otherwise he said, that love will never change. But he goes on, he says, Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. With loving kindness have I drawn thee. To be honest with you, when you have a child, and, and here we have a, 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 a Daxon back here, and, 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 and a little child, I, I guarantee you there's going to come some time in his life as he gets older that's going to require some love on the discipline on the backside a little bit. He's sweet and He's lovely now. But He's human too. And every one of us have, have been through those sessions and you know when mom or dad says, listen, my mom and dad never said this, but some of them people say they do. It's going to hurt you a lot. It's going to hurt me a lot worse than it's going to hurt you. And they never did say that to me. My brother and I, we used to get a whipping with a belt. He said, oh, preacher, that's abuse. No, that's called love. It's called love. And parents, let me tell you something. Can I meddle just for a second? If you love your kids, you will discipline them. Not out of abuse. You say, but to whip them? God gave plenty of padding back there. You apply the Board of Education to the seat of knowledge. And they remember. I'm going to tell you what. You say, well, preacher, what, look, what did it do for you? Well, I'm a pastor today. My brother's a pastor today. My sister got away with murder. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm saying is this. It didn't warp my psyche. Something else got warped. 
And so many times today we fail to understand that, hey, listen, the, the discipline, the pricks of God, sometimes it, it, it's out of love, not out of malice. Saul was suddenly awakened unto to who Jesus was there in verse 5. Look at verse 5 there. He says, and he said, who art thou, Lord? He said, who art thou, Lord? He didn't say, who are you talking to me? He said, who art thou, Lord? And he tried to get his attention. Here's a great question of Saul and, and, and each of us. Even though Saul was a religious scholar and he had no clue that Jesus was the Son of God, he thought Jesus was a mere man leading a cult that, that had died on a cross. But his, his thinking was all wrong and, and deceived by the teaching of the world around him. Here's a question for each of us this morning. Jesus, who are you? In my life. Who are you in my life? As a preacher, I could say, yeah, who are, who are you in, in Wyatt's life? Who are you in, in, in Levi's life? And who are you in Levi's life? And who are you in Blake's life? And who are you in, in Matt's life? But I have to stop and say, Jesus, who are you in my life? And every one of us must look at that. And he said, Lord, who are you? And I ask you this morning, is he merely just a good man in your life? Is he someone that you think of around Christmas in a manger? Or is he your Savior that you put your faith and trust in and ask him to forgive your sins and come to your heart and life and save you? Then if, if that is true, not only is He your Savior, then is He your Lord that's in control of your life, of your life, and not just Savior. You see, a lot of people have received Jesus Christ as Savior, but they've never come to a place where they've made Him Lord, otherwise controller, the one that they belong to. In fact, can I tell you this? Hey, listen, the Bible says, What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own, for you've been bought with a price. That's Jesus Christ, His shed blood. He says, Therefore glorify God in your body and spirit, which are God's. They belong to the Lord. You belong to the Lord if you're saved. Down through the ages, that's been the question that's been asked. Who are you, Lord? Even Jesus asked his disciples in Matthew 16, 13, he says, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? He said, who do they think I am? Boy, here to this morning I could say, who do you think Jesus is? Who do you think he is? Jesus is pursuing, is a pursuing Savior and Lord the Lord was pursuing Paul. He was after him. Yeah, I could see he was after him. To bring him to the point of salvation. And then he was going to continue to pursue him to live for him. In salvation there in Acts 9 verse 3 and 4, it says, As he journeyed, Paul was traveling, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined around about him a light from heaven. Who was the light? What was the light? It was Jesus. He was pursuing him. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He was trying to get Saul to a place. And so, uh, come here, why? 
And so Saul is, is going, uh, he's going to Damascus, start walking that way. He's going to Damascus, and it's like the Lord is following him. He's pursuing him, and he knocks him to the ground. And he gets his attention. Can I tell you something this morning? Thank you. In your life and my life, the Lord is pursuing. If you're not saved, he's pursuing you in salvation. He's not just sitting up there once in a while and saying, well, you think we'll see if he'll get saved? No, he's continually pursuing you, allowing things to come in your life, allowing some things to prick you, to get your attention, to get you to look to him. And then when you, when you don't think about him and you don't want to turn to him and you kick back, he, he sticks the gold up there and lets you kick it and it becomes even more hurtful. But he's pursuing you. Just like that farmer would follow that, follow that oxen and that plow. He's trying to get your attention. Can I tell you this morning? The most important thing in your life concerning the Lord is this. The Lord don't care what type of house you live in. Not first of all. He doesn't care how much money you got in the bank. He doesn't care what you drive. He doesn't, he's not really interested in what you, you know, all these things that we put so much emphasis on. Do you want, he's first of all interested in, he's pursuing you in salvation because he wants you to have eternal life. He tells us, he said, listen, he said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all these things shall be added unto you. He said, I'll take care of the other stuff. He said, but the most important thing in your life is to receive Christ. After Paul got saved, then the Lord pursued him beyond that, just like He pursues you and I after we get saved. He, wanted, he has a plan for your life. He has a plan for Paul's life. And in verse 6 here, he says, and he, he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, arise and go into the city and it shall be told thee what thou must do. He said, I've got a plan for you. He said, I want you to go into the town. I said, I want, I want you to go in there. He said, I'm going to send somebody your way and they're going to tell you what you need to do. So the Lord sends Ananias to deliver his message to Saul as to how he wants him to live. You see, the Lord is always in pursuit of each of us, even after salvation, because He wants to direct your life. The Lord doesn't get any pleasure in pricking you. He doesn't get any pleasure in that. But He knows that sometimes He has to. But we don't pay attention. And so he has to get our attention. It's just like a child. I'm talking about discipline. Sometimes the discipline is to get their attention. To keep them from destroying their lives. To protect them. To help them to grow. It begins at salvation. In Luke chapter 19 verse 10. Says, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. He's come looking for you. He's pursuing you. And he continues that pursuit of us to live for him after salvation. 
In Matthew 16, 24, and Jesus said to his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He says, I want him to live for me. And even if we sin in the pursuit, he's in pursuit of us to bring us back into that relationship with him. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 says, in the latter part, he says, For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He said, I'm right there. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's right there. He's pursuing us even when we sin against Him. Why? To bring us back into that fellowship with Him. To walk with Him. To do what He wants us to do. There's that pursuit. Continually, by His Word, He pursues us. By His Spirit, the Holy Spirit that dwells within us, he, he pursues us. By the situations in our lives that we face, He's pursuing us to get our attention. By the preaching of God's Word, He's trying to alert us and get us to look unto Him. By the good gospel songs that we sing that even was sung this morning, He's pursuing us with a message to try to get our attention, to get our hearts after Him. But if we continually kick against the pricks, the only thing's going to happen is we're going to receive unrest and pain in our life. Saul acknowledged Jesus as Lord. Verse 5, he said, Who art thou, Lord? Verse 6, he said, he, he And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, oh, that we would come to an end of ourselves and come down off of our high horse and say, Lord, you got my attention. You got my attention. Lord, I can't make it on my own. I need you. Lord, I now I look and I see all these things in my life that you've been trying to get my attention all this time. Or we can kick against the pricks. Saul then sought to obey the will of the Lord in his life. In verse 6, says, And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Boy, if you get saved, you want to say, Lord, what do you want me to do now? How do you want me to live for you? How you want me to obey you? Lord, I want to be pleasing unto you. Are you open and willing to do whatever the Lord wants in your life? Or is he going to have to pick up that goad, that prick? In Acts chapter 9, verse 20 there, notice what Paul did. He said, and straightway, this is after Ananias came in. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. He's not going to call everybody to be a preacher, but we're all preachers, really. The Bible says we're ambassadors for Christ, and we're to live a life that others can see Jesus Christ in us. And so he prods us and he pokes to get us to there where we need to be. We're all to be that witness, a testimony for the glory of the Lord that others may know of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But if we continue to kick against the pricks, we'll never be where the Lord wants us to be. I can handle it myself, preacher. I don't think I need the Lord. Well, I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven, but I don't want to live like that. And every time you kick, you're going to feel that prick. Well, that's a mean God. No, that's a loving God. 
By His love, He sends the pricks to bring us to Him, first in salvation, then afterwards, as He pursues us to live for Him, that He might be glorified. I don't know where you are in your life, but God does. God does. Preacher, you ever felt that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. More times than I can count. Did it make you mad? No, most time it got my attention for a little while. Anyways. Can I tell you something? Sometimes those go pretty deep and they really hurt. But one of these days when you stand before the Lord... Sean, I think he's going to, you're going to, we're going to say, Lord, thanks for the pricks. Thanks for getting me where I would get saved. Thanks for getting me where I need to be a follower to follow you, to live for you. Thanks. Even through the pain. This morning, can I tell you something? The message is exactly this right here. The Word of God and the message of God is always a prick. But my question is, if you felt the prick, are you going to kick against it? Or are you going to turn? Let's bow. Father, we thank You for loving us. Thank You for the mercies of God. Thank You, Lord, that You care enough to... Bring a goad into our lives to try to turn us, to try to get us where you want us to be. Now, Lord, I pray that you'd be with every one of us Christians. and Maybe there's some here that don't know Christ as Savior. Good people, but never come to that point of receiving you as Savior. Lord, I pray that this morning, Lord, that the message and the Holy Spirit would prick every heart according to your will and what you want. And Lord, if somebody doesn't know Christ or Savior, I pray to come, let's take a Bible and show them how to be saved. And maybe take somebody by the hand and say, hey, would you go with me? Maybe as Christians, we feel those little sticks. May we just turn to you and say, Lord, which direction? What would you have me to do? This I ask and pray in Jesus' name.